Hello and welcome to a season preview edition of the Pelican Debrief podcast. My name is Brendan Clean. I'm your host today and I am joined with a writer for Pelican Debrief, the co-editor Rick Stone, and we are here to give you our hottest Pelicans takes ahead of Game 1 on Wednesday night. Rick, how are you and how excited are you to watch this team? Oh gosh, I mean this team is, is really, really interesting now that found out that Lance Stevenson beat out Alonzo uh, Gee for the final spot. I, I don't know what's excitement and what's just pure fear. I, I Kind of balancing the two out a bit. Um, but, I mean, basketball is basketball. you got to love when it's out there, and you got to love when you can actually watch your team. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if they get any better, if they just look different. Yeah, I think that's obviously the biggest news of the day. Um, we are recording it on Monday, and earlier this morning, the uh, Pelicans announced that Alonzo G had lost the training camp battle. It came down to those two. The roster was at 16 heading into this morning, and they made their decision a little early, um, deciding that Stevenson was the better fit, apparently. And, uh, I mean, it's nice to see uh, John Reed of uh, NOLA.com has been tweeting all day about, you know, I think he's had a conversation with Stevenson this morning, and, you know, I'm a changed player. He he said, I think, uh, I'm not not going to get it exactly right, but something along the lines of, the whole league had the wrong perception of me. Uh, I just had to get into a camp to, to change their mind. And I don't know, what it, I mean, what it, does that seem? That's the thing that I've been grappling with the most that I find hard to I not believe. I believe that a player, a person can change, but like this person, <laughs> I'm not sure. Lance Stevens is a really interesting case. And first off, before we get into anything, let's just get it clear that he made the 15th man on the roster. It's not like he's suddenly a role player or a starter. He's the 15th man. And sure, this team is very, very banged up. And he's going to get minutes early on in the year. But it's not suddenly like he's come back into the role that he was before everything that came down. So he still has a lot to prove going into this season that he deserves to be on an NBA roster long term. That being said... He did win the spot, and that does mean something. Alonzo G is a very serviceable player. He fills a role for this team, but I think when you're looking at what the Pelicans want to do, they're not looking for a safe player or somebody that has limited capabilities. The big thing they wanted in the offseason was to get players that had multiple capabilities on offense and defense. Alonzo G can do one thing on offense, dunk. He can do one thing on defense, which is use his massive athleticism to block shots. He doesn't really have a ton more that he brings on multiple sets, so it's easy to counteract him, similar in ways that Omer Sheik and Alexia Jinka are not that flexible. But this team really seems to want to go a flexible route, and if that's the route you want to take, Lance Stevenson makes more sense. He has capabilities on offense that are um, more than just shooting or driving or passing. He does it all, and defensively, he's not great in any area, but he's very balanced on what he can do, and he can do what Gentry wants with the switching on constant pick and rolls. It's going to be really interesting, though, to see what happens on the court. He can say whatever he wants now. I want to see what happens when the games start, and it really becomes paramount that either he's going to be a guy that fills just a few minutes at the end of games in garbage time, or if he's actually going to fill a serviceable role on this team. Well, I think that's what the real decision was with this. It wasn't just which player. It's it's how big of a role do you want the 15th guy to have. And if you're picking Stevenson, that clearly means that 
I just don't, I mean, why bring somebody like that in with the baggage that they have and the obvious talent that they have? Like, Lance Stevenson's not around in the league to be on the end of a bench. You can't bring him in and have that be the role because, number one, I don't think he'll be happy. And number two, he really, I mean, say what you want about the fit and how he uses the talent. He clearly has it. So it doesn't really make any sense to say, you know, go through a whole training camp battle, put your faith in a guy who who hasn't had faith of many teams in the past couple of years, and then, you know, play him 25 minutes over the first few months of the year. Like that just, it's hard to believe that that's going to be what happens where, you know, if it had been G, that that obviously would have been because like you said, he's very low upside. Um, um, I, I really don't know what to make about this. Uh, Lance Stevenson's just, he's one of those guys that has that pass, but at the same time, I still don't see this as anything more than a flyer. Like they're going to, be doing he's going to be really testing out what he can do for this team and if he does something well they can certainly keep him it makes a lot of sense but if he doesn't work out they can more than certainly cut him it's one of the deeper positions on the roster it's something that is, is easily replaceable if it goes wrong and he's really Tyreek Evans and with Tyreek Evans contract running out it very well just could be a flyer to see if they can get a better and more serviceable version of him well, I hope that that's all it is. Um, and like you said, there's so many uh, interchangeable players on this roster and question marks about what any any of it's going to end up being. But um, it's definitely going to be, I mean, for the rest of the league especially, you know, we as fans maybe know that it, it probably isn't of much consequence, uh, at least right away as he plays into the, you know, gets gets into the system and learns the team. I mean, he's only had one camp, which... A lot of these guys have, but um, they'll all be learning on the fly to a certain extent, and it'll all be you know a matter of who sticks. Um, but I think that that goes pretty well into the real purpose of the podcast. Um, outside of that news, which is to predict some fun things about the season, as much fun as the Pelicans can be this year, and uh, instead of just you know going player by player and guessing their points, rebounds, and assists or anything like that. We're going to do some quick-fire questions, and uh, I'm sure it'll parlay itself into greater debate if we disagree. And uh, we will start with who will lead the team in uh, three-point percentage. I think, as you said, that the versatility and uh, toolsiness has sort of been the focus of the Pelicans offseason, um, clearly. But... There still remains some questions about those guys actually filling the needs of the team. Uh, one of the big needs after losing Gordon, Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson is shooting. And while Etwan Moore probably you know figures to be a positive on that end of the equation, and Solomon Hill could be, Langston Galloway, Terrence Jones, those guys are question marks for sure. And the new starting point guard, uh, while Drew Holiday's away, is Tim Frazier, who is, you know, even more of a question mark than those guys. They've all been in the 30% range for their career, but uh, this team, and Anthony Davis, I guess, fits that bill as well. He's another guy who's tool, who's uh, tinkered with it and tried to add it, but never really become an efficient uh, you know, volume shooter in any real way. So I think this, the three-point attack from this team is going to be more uh, effective as a you know, 
challenging opposing defenses to guard every player, um, and then it's really going to rely on two or three really sticking out um, as guys that demand that respect. So who do you think will lead the team in three-point percentage? And you're not allowed to say Buddy Heald because that's probably the most likely candidate, and he's still a rookie, so I don't think he's going to be a guy that teams give that respect to right away, regardless if he's hitting you know two or three of his attempts a game for the first little while. Well, it's funny you said that because I was actually going to bring up Buddy Heald, but actually a point against him for leading is he's going to be one of those guys that shoots a lot of them. It's one of the things he did a ton at college, and when you're talking about percentage, volume comes into big play, and the only real guy that's going to take a large volume of them is going to be Buddy Heald. So I kind of think he's out just because of how he's going to play his game, and it's more so that he's going to be shooting from there than anywhere else on the floor. I'm looking more of somebody who is going to get those shots occasionally, mostly for the open part of it, and has grown to improve it. It's kind of a surprise. I can't believe I'm even saying this, but I kind of like Dante Cunningham for this category. I mean, every year he's improved, 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 and this is going to be a team that has a lot of players that it's not really a huge strength for them as three-point shooting. Terrence Jones had problems for a while. Anthony Davis, we'll see how it goes, but depending on his workload, that's a lot to ask for him. Tim Frazier's not a pure three-point shooter very much. Etuan Moore has got is at okay numbers, but it's definitely not something that stands out with him. Same with Langston Galloway. I mean, Pondexter's out, so I don't really want to say him because it's going to be a very long process to even just get back on the court. So as far as somebody who could be consistent, Dante Cunningham's really the only one that I could see, and it's a big if. He finds the stroke and is able to get those shots to go in, and he improves and improves. He could lead the team in three-point percentage. That says a lot about how much this team seems to rely on that shot. Yeah, I mean, that's a definitely unexpected. I agree with you. Um, the point about improving, I, I don't think that that's a thing that a lot of uh, fans around the league necessarily know about him. Um, I don't know. I I agree that he is the kind of guy who, yeah, he made 32% last year on just a crazy uptick in attempts. Uh, he shot 174 of them, and up until that point uh, had shot less than 50 in his entire career. He made more last year, I'd say, than he had ever taken before. I'm trying to do the math really quickly. It definitely yeah, didn't get to 50. He made 55 last year. So um, he's definitely a candidate, but to get it up from 32%, he's going to... I think you're right that he probably won't shoot quite as many, so he'll have that benefit. Um, I'm really interested overall in what his role ends up being. I think early in the season, when we don't necessarily know what we're going to get out of a Terrence Jones or um, even a Solomon Hill, uh, he'll be probably relied on a little bit more. But as the season goes on, I think you'd hope he would sort of fade into the background and become more of a you know end-of-the-bench, garbage-time kind of player. So... Um, but that's interesting. I mean, there's still massive questions with Quincy Pondexter, so if he doesn't ever come back this year, he might just go in that. Yeah, you're right. I just, I don't know, I see, I guess I see Cunningham more as a four, and maybe I shouldn't, because on this team, they might not have the benefit of, you know, playing everybody where they should be played. I think my candidate is Etuan Moore, 
that's not really uh, lighting the world on fire. I wanted to say Terrence Jones, but I don't know what to how what I can trust Terrence Jones with at this point, and I don't think that three point shooting is going to be the first thing to come back after a rough season. So, I don't know. I I think more um, is going to be that guy. Uh, even though I th- I think you're right, he he's one of the guys that will be shooting. You know, he'll he'll lead the team. In attempts some nights, I think that's fair to say, depending on what Heald is doing. Um, but I think another, you know, point that goes toward this is that the season that he, his first season in Orlando, he's, he played in 75 games. I didn't even know, I mean, I, I had like loosely heard this guy's name until last season. Um, and I sort of figured that he had just been around and then last year was his first real real NBA experience. But he played 22 minutes a game over 75 games that season in Orlando and shot almost three um, threes a game, Got had made 34% of them. So, I mean, he, he's been in a role. I think he'll probably hit, you know, upward toward 30 minutes a game this year. So he'll have, you know, the opportunity to shoot more of them. And I'm inclined to think he can make a bunch. I think that... Um, he's exactly the kind of player that Gentry empowers, you know, with his system. You know, the guys who can make a quick decision and, and make shots off of, you know, not a lot of time. I think he'll make a lot of catch-and-shoot threes. I think he'll make a lot of off-the-bounce, maybe not threes, but, you know, he'll get in a rhythm in a nice way. So I think uh, if you're looking for a non-heeled uh, shooter, I think he's my... He's my pick, but I think it's definitely something the team will struggle with. And obviously, with you can't forget to mention if you're talking about more. He shot 45% on threes last season, so it's not really that out of the question to think that he could stay around, you know, 40% this year, regardless of the uh, volume. He, I mean, he shot two of them last year, so a game. So I don't know. Um, yeah, you kind of wonder if last year. If last year was an outlier for him, or I mean, I think you kind of have to assume it was, yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting. He's definitely going to get the shots up, depending on if he's starting over Buddy Heald or if he's going to be a bench player. Well, I definitely think too. I mean, we we kind of heard over the summer here and there that he was going to be playing some point guard, and I think he probably will. But I don't know. I don't know how much point guard necessarily means. I think he'll be handling the ball, but I, I think a lot of that will come as a secondary option, especially now that the team chose to keep Lance around. I mean, if you have Lance, Galloway, and Frazier, all three of those guys uh, are more threatening as a ball handler than Moore. Uh, and I think the the shooting and defense that Moore provides, you know, you'd like to capitalize on that a little more, and you don't want to overexert him just dribbling the ball up the court and, and running the offense every time down. So I, I wasn't super bullish on what he was going to do. I was not sort of, I mean, he locked up the shooting guard starting spot, you know, for the foreseeable future. And uh, I, I like that a lot more. And I think it, you know, goes well into the idea that he'll probably be a pretty efficient shooter. The next question was the most common lineup that we will see. Um, not you know, total times on the court together. But by the end of the season, the number of minutes played for, you know, a five-man unit on the Pelicans, who do you think leads, which five guys lead in that um, category? Obviously, you know, with this particular team, you have to consider that Tyreek and and Evans and and Holiday are going to all be out. So they're probably not going to be in there. But what do you think? Um, 
probably guess that Tim Frazier would be the starter for most of the part, or at least in most of the lineups, he'd still play point. They had a lot of success with him last year. I'm assuming as the year goes on, Buddy Heald's going to get the nod for shooting guard. I don't know if he's going to start at the beginning, but I'd probably say a uh, Frazier, Heald, small forward would probably be, well, he might run small with, uh, no, I would say Hill, um, Terrence Jones, and Anthony Davis. I mean, it makes the most sense balance-wise. It gives them the most capabilities on both ends. It, they seem to really like running Anthony Davis with Terrence Jones. It seems to be something they're a huge fan of, uh, the chemistry between them and what they can do on both ends. And Solomon Hill, if he plays up to his potential, can really fill that small forward spot really well. It's going to be... I think a lot of it comes down to who plays well as the season goes. There's a lot of question marks of what players are going to step up and what ones are going to really struggle. So, I mean... I think, yeah, I mean, you're right, because it's hard to to have any real uh, guesses about what any of this is going to become because so much of it is going to be learning on the fly. Uh, I think, you know considering that there's already so many new additions and then every month or so, you know, the team figures to gain back another player um, from the injury line. And so it'll, it'll all be very different as, you know, each month goes, I'd say is going to probably be a different leading unit. But that sort of makes me think between, you know, Fraser starting at the beginning of the year, holidays still, I mean, while he had success at the end of last season, I would not expect the team to be, you know, still overly keen on overextending him in any way. So I think my guess would probably be Frazier um, more because I, he did, uh, just to clarify, he the team announced, I think yesterday, sometime over the weekend, he will be the starting shooting guard, um, at least on opening night and, you know, for the for the however many games it takes, you know, for him to solidify that or lose it. But he will be starting um, from opening night on. And so I think it'll be him in the two spot. And then, I, I mean, I as much as I'm really excited to see what kinds of things you, you can do with Davis and Jones together or Davis and Hill together over the course of the entire season, um, considering that I do think Omar Oshik's going to have an uptick from last year and sort of solidify himself again as a playable big man. I think I'm going to have to go Hill, Davis, Oshik in the front court. So those five, um, you know, I don't, I don't want that to be the team, the, the unit that gets the most, if, if another one clicks, some, a smaller, more versatile lineup were to click, I, I obviously would be inclined to go with it as much as you can. And I do, I mean, it's hard not to be excited about Davis and Jones together, what they can do. They, they put the ball in Jones hand, hands a, a bunch in the preseason. I mean, he, I, I had never considered him the kind of player who you were going to really run an offense through because in Houston, he was next to one of the more ball dominant players in the entire league in James Harden. So, you know, he didn't really get to flash that, but considering Davis can do a lot of those same things and a lot of the roster figures to be able to do it too, that, I mean, it's so tantalizing, but, um, I really don't know what to think of Jones, and while he had a nice preseason and he played quite a bit, uh, I don't. I'm not willing to pull that trigger yet, and I also am really hesitant to buy into Solomon Hill being a real, you know, even 55% of his minutes coming at the four this year. 
I think it'll be more experimental at the beginning of the season. And if he earns it, I'm more than happy to go with it. And I think you can do a lot of fun stuff with three guards in the lineup and put Galloway in there, healed in there with the other two. But uh, I think that, yeah, over the over the course of the season, it's just the most trustworthy unit. Uh, Frazier, Moore, Hill, Hill, Oshik, and Davis. So. Well, my biggest question with that it really comes down to Elmer Sheik. This is a make-or-break season for him. If he plays up to what he can, then he might save himself that starting center spot. But I think this team is right now thinking, if he doesn't start stepping up, they're going in a totally different direction. And I know his contract is a complete albatross. They're not getting away from it anytime soon. But I don't think that Alvin Gentry would keep playing him if he doesn't fill the role the team needs him to. I mean, he can sit on the bench with all his money, but this is his year. He's either going to make it or there's going to be a lot of questions about trades and whatnot. Well, we won't, uh, let's just say my bold prediction is going to lead to a, a larger conversation about Omar Asik, and it has to do with the MVP ballot. I'm just kidding. No, it does not. But um, the the next one, it, I mean, it's it's sort of similar. Uh, it's based on um, injuries and, and lineups and all that, is minutes played, which player on the team leads in that category. I mean, I think the easy one to say would be Anthony Davis because each game he'll probably be playing the most, but overall he obviously gets injured quite a bit. So what do you think? Can he make it and, and lead the team? And I guess, you know, there's a part of you that thinks maybe even if he only plays like 70 games, he's playing so many more minutes than everyone else, he might still get there. But what say you? There, I think there's kind of three ways I want to go about this. The best one, the best prediction is Anthony Davis because he's going to play so much, and the team really needs him to play a lot. But as you're right, he gets injured a lot, and if he gets injured, he's not going to play the most minutes. So it, it's kind of a, an interesting situation with Anthony Davis as he should be the person that plays the most minutes on this team. He's the best player on this team, so it only made the most sense. And then you kind of go with this the other option, which... I think it's probably the safest. It's weird to say that this might be the safest, but Solomon Hill is going to get a lot of run because early on there's injuries. All three positions that he might be playing this year. Well, all two of them. I don't think he's going to be playing much center. But, I mean, power forward's a little banged up, and, yes, you have Terrence Jones. But other than Anthony Davis, there's not really much there at power forward, and you could be running Terrence Jones as as a small ball center at times. So, I mean, Hill's going to get a good chunk of small forward minutes unless they run Dante Cunningham there, which they might run Dante Cunningham at the four. But he seems like the guy that fits in most of those lineups where they just need somebody to fill in there. He seems like somebody that they want to get a lot of run this year to see what they got out of him and the contract that he gave him. And as far as reliability with health, he's the one person on the team that seems to be somewhat reliable as far as staying on the court. So all that together seems like he makes the most sense of all the other non-Anthony Davis picks. But I don't feel comfortable about any of them. I I gamble a lot on sports, and this is kind of one of the ones that I'd say I'm not touching because this is the one team where you don't know who's going to get injured. Everyone's injured at every part of the year. It's it's crazy to even try and guess who's going to get injured or not. I would say Anthony Davis, but with his injury troubles, if I had to pick somebody else, it'd be Solomon Hill. But I do not feel comfortable about either. I agree. I mean, it's 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 sort of a weird thing to talk about also. I mean, to to proclaim that some man is going to hurt himself and not be able to, you know, work is a little strange. But I think it's an interesting and necessary debate for this team because of how much they struggle with that. 
um, the injury situation for years, obviously. Um, but I agree with you. Um, I think Solomon Hill was my pick and who I had in mind when I, you know, thought of the question because uh, Joel Myers over the summer, the, the play-by-play announcer for the Pelicans, uh, tweeted, or I think it was um, through someone else, you know, speaking with him, that he sort of said Solomon Hill starting at, at the three was quote-unquote part of the deal. Um, the part of the, you know, understandably part of the reason that a deal like that would get done so quickly um, with Hill being an early signee was, you know, discussion centering around, you're going to start for us. And and for somebody who didn't do too much to earn that <laughs> in the first three years that he played um, with Indiana, um, it was probably nice to hear. And, you know, especially with that nice paycheck that comes with being, you know, a starter with, you know, in the current economic situation that the NBA has, um, you kind of can't not play somebody like that. So considering that he really hasn't had too much trouble with injuries throughout his career and considering that, yeah, he's just about, you know, if, if, if the offseason has centered on flexibility, then the offseason has centered around Solomon Hill because so much of the things that they're going to try to do are going to center around um, what he brings. Secondarily to Anthony Davis, of course, but, you know, even unleashing, you know, the potency that Davis brings at, at the either position he'll play is going to be made a lot easier if Hill is doing a little stuff to make a lot of a lot of that work so um, he all of that together I mean he's sort of the obvious candidate unless you think somehow that you're a soothsayer and and know that Davis is going to be fine over the course of the season that he never has been so um, I agree with you there uh, and the only other questions that I had as far as, you know, predictions about a specific player were a little lighthearted, mo- most fun and most disappointing. I mean, I guess disappointing is not lighthearted for most people, but if you've listened to the Pelican Debrief podcast before, you know that Rick makes hatred fun. So uh, we'll go to you first. Oh, actually, no, I'm going to go first this time. I have let you go first every time. So most fun for me, I think, is going to be Buddy Heald. Um it's hard to pick anybody else. Although Langston Galloway was the other guy I considered. Um, who do you have for most fun? I kind of love Derek Jones. I mean, he seems like a guy that's such a... They, they played him a lot in the preseason. Some of the stuff he did was so exciting that it just gets to you. And, and his personality seems to go really well with the team. You, you, you went to high, uh, college with the best player on the team. I feel like there's going to be some fun between those two throughout the year. Not just in his play, but as an off-the-court antics. He seems like a really interesting glue guy to kind of replace Ryan Anderson. I don't really know his personality. I don't know. All I've seen is what he does in the court. He's an interesting player. Yeah, he's, I mean, definitely I agree with you. Um, he's going to be, the he's the highest variance player. You know, he, his maybe he turns out to be nothing and we're all excited for no reason. But if not... The ways that they're using him are like the things that make NBA fans jump up and down and call their friends for no reason. Um, fan, friends, friends that don't even understand the NBA and get puzzled why you care that a guy is you know, handling the ball just because he's tall. But that's fun. I mean, Davis, it's the same reason that you watch somebody like Anthony Davis. So to have two of those guys, especially like you said, they'll probably play a considerable amount together. 
Um, it's hard not to be excited. I, I mean, Links and Galloway, I'll just go over. Buddy Hill's going to be fun because he is the most was the most exciting maybe basketball player outside of Steph Curry last fall and spring, you know, last season. If you cared about basketball and knew what, you know, collegiate athletics were, you were excited about Buddy Heald, and now he plays for the Pelicans. So whether he's good or bad or in between, he's going to at least bring fun. Um, but Langston Galloway, I think that just the brand of basketball that he plays is hard to not at least respect. He's the kind of guy where you, you know, there's some players like Jared Dudley or, you know, not to be mean, but you think like, if I was a foot taller, I probably could work myself into shape if I studied the game and had the opportunities Dudley had. Maybe I could do that. Langston Galloway does not make you think that. He punishes people just physically every time that he is on the basketball court. Whether it's offense or defense, he's slamming into people. He's you know bodying up on defense. He's going to the rim with you know all the confidence in the world. Um, you know, it makes somebody whose jumper is inconsistent, you know, you worry a little less. So if he gets the minutes, I think he's going to impress people that didn't watch him in, you know, a limited role in New York. So he's my pick, um, you know, my 1B to Buddy Heald, but disappointing. Um, I think Alexis, Alexia Jensa, um, is, it might be obvious, but that doesn't make it any less true. I, I just, it's so hard for me to take anything that happens with that man seriously because of how disappointing he's been and the contract that he's on and the role he thinks he's going to play this year and the role that the team maybe has let him think he'll play this year. It worries me at the same time as it makes me laugh and I have no idea if I should even be giggling because I feel like if he, he's He's going to do something, and he's going to get minutes, and then I might look like an idiot, or I might look right, and I'll be just be sad. I have no idea, but what what is your most disappointing? On a roster full of possibilities, let's remind everybody. I, I mean, this award could go so many different ways. If, uh, if Alvin Gentry has got Alexis Ajinka thinking he's the next Amari Stoudemire, this could get really ugly really fast. Um I have to bring up Omer Sheik because it's almost like it's become his award. Every year it becomes, what is he going to disappoint this year? Is he going to tip in another basket for the Spurs to win? Is he going to just stand around goofily having no idea what's going on again? It, it's like the, the Pandora's box of what if with Omer Sheik. You never really know what bad thing you're going to get. You just know you're going to get a bad thing. Um the other possibility could be Tyreek Evans. This is his last year on the contract. I know he's hurt, but if he can't come back and do anything, that that's just going to have a really ugly feeling, ugly taste in the mouths of Pelicans fans after what they gave up for him. I mean, it's been a project they've tried for years, and it's been a project that never really panned out. And this uh, sort of feels like the uh, the last moment of that saga where it just gets really sad because nothing came of it. And there was so much potential for him to be really, really good. It's anybody's award, really. It, it's Anyone can win it because of the possibilities. And I think a lot of it comes down to what your expectations are for each player, which is a great reason why to pick Alexei Jenko, because if he thinks he's going to be a starter, then 
we'll see how season goes. Well, I do want to say, I mean, one point to make here is, I mean, we laugh because we spend too much time focusing on this team, and we, you know, we nitpick on the comments like, like Ajin says that, you know, and, and it's not even him. I don't really fault him because you don't make things like that up. You've been around the NBA long enough. You've been in, in one franchise for long enough. You're not just creating things out of thin air. That's obviously been talked about in camp, and he started, I think, two or three of the preseason games. So clearly that's on the table, and he started last year, um, you know, more as a, an injury, you know, caution, but that it's not far-fetched. And so, but the one thing to say about the roster as a whole this year is I agree that Omer Ashik was most definitely, you know, up there last year, but in in some ways... I think that the award maybe was Ryan Anderson's award and just I didn't feel more upset watching any player in the league maybe last year than I did when Ryan Anderson was taking possessions away from better and more efficient players and killing the defense than I did, you know, when I was watching him. I just like I can't I couldn't handle it. Like, I don't know a more graceful way to say that, but it was pretty obnoxious and terrible. And so there's no players like that that you look at and think, oh my God, like this is going to be, I maybe will go get a snack during those minutes of the game. Um, So that's at least more uplifting, you know, in terms of we're going to watch 82 of these things and you'd like to be able to palette most of them. Yeah, I think this award will always come down, like I said earlier, to expectations. What do you really expect out of the players? For me, Ryan Anderson wasn't too much of a deal because he was doing more of what I expected. It was just bad what he was trying to do. Whereas for the expectations of the year I had for a sheet being possible stand-in center that really brought everything together didn't work out as a whole. And with Alexia Jinka, I think it is reasonable to have him start just because of the glaring hole this team has at serviceable centers on this team. It's definitely there. It's a matter of what he thinks he can do with that role. If he thinks he's going to put up 20 and 10, he's out of his mind. He's never shown that in his career. And it it comes down to what you think of each player, what you expect of them. I also could see Buddy Heald having problems this year that could get him in that award. It really depends on how much he plays and what role he takes on in that offense. If he shoots 20% from the field, it could be a disastrous rookie season for him. We've seen, we're kind of used to bad rookie seasons from shooting guards of late with Austin Rivers' disastrous year. So, I mean, I don't know if he'll ever take over that. But I think there's a lot of, this team has a very interesting ceiling, but it has a very scary uh, basement for what it could be this year, just because... You don't really know what to get out of so many of these players, and any one of them can be a great surprise and a great disappointment. Yeah, It's just a matter of how they play. We haven't seen much of it yet. Once you get into the season, maybe we have a better of an idea, but it's so tough to pick somebody to be a huge disappointment when all you've got to go on is their past seasons. Well, I like this format. I think it would be interesting to do this you know, monthly or quarterly and then look back on our answers and then see what the actual truths have been, but... Um, I think that we can move into just general predictions, um, you know, record and standings and all that. And we do have a bold prediction each to wrap up the show, but, um, for the listeners and for you, because, uh, you said you have been at work all day today and didn't get to see a lot of the, uh, preseason wrap up 
news and then also I mean a fair bit of sites have put up their season previews in the past few days but <clears throat> just for a shameless plug um the fan site had launched a new NBA vertical called the step back which you should all check out because we're going to cover the Pelicans and I write there and uh, you know Ian Levy who is a writer who is an editor for fan sided that has been on the podcast and Matt Sanfrone who was the editor here all of those people still right there and it's going to be great but the New Orleans Pelicans preview that they posted today um a part a section of each team's preview was called Perfect Strangers, and Matt Deanna, who used to write for Nylon Calculus, is doing, um, or I guess they're all up now, has done um, statistical previews of the offense for each team, and the way that he chose to do it was um, most interestingly feasible lineups. Um, so he kind of shows the averages and their, you know, their shot diagrams compared to league average, as you know we're all used to seeing, but this uh, idea is basically a sort of far-fetched but also possible lineup um, that would just be bonkers on offense if everything went right. And so we talked about most common lineups last year, and I think we've talked about you know things we'd like to see, but um, the the lineup that this kind of the stats sort of spit out and and Matt you know cobbled together was Drew Holiday. Anthony Davis, Tyreek Evans, Terrence Jones, and Dante Cunningham. What do you think about that? There's a lot of interesting potential, especially pick and roll wise in that lineup. You have a lot of options with Anthony Davis and Terrence Jones coming up on the pick and roll, True Holiday being able to see even more of the floor and to move it even more. The Dante Cunningham's really interesting. Because it seems like his role in this offense has become very much a floor spacer, which I'm not sure you really replace anyone that's on the roster with him in this kind of uh, offensive firepower lineup. It's just interesting to see him there from what Dante Cunningham was last year to what he is now. It's an interesting thing. Um, And Tyreek Evans, I mean, you're looking at two point guards, really that can run a killer pick and roll with two bigs that can run just as killer of a pick and roll. I think it's, the lineup that I see that's so offensively firepower is the double pick and roll at every possible moment. And that would, especially against a bigger team that has bigs that are not very good at moving on pick and rolls, a team like, oh, I don't know, Houston, that would be insane to just watch those bigs constantly have to come up and try and guard pick and rolls. They just do that against Ryan Anderson the entire game. And yeah, I think Houston has the chance to bring the the best and the worst out of teams every time they play this year. They're like, I mean, and considering that they're in the Pelicans division, we'll get to see a fair bit of it, but they're going to make teams play them in ways that the team, you know, isn't comfortable doing. A lineup like this, you're right, that's like the perfect, you know, team to see it against because you're not really scared of any individual on the Rockets offense, so maybe defense you're not too worried. And Matt, uh, in this piece, made it clear that these don't necessarily work um, on defense. They're not intended to be, you know, two-way lineups. It's just to sort of imagine an offensive explosion. But, yeah, I mean, anything to get fans to know Dante Cunningham's, you know, name. I don't. I honestly would be interested to just, like, if NBA.com ran a poll that just said, is, is there a player named Dante Cunningham in the National Basketball Association? How many fans would answer yes? And how many fans would just think, like, 
oh, you know, this is just social media marketing and they're trying to get us so they can show how silly we all are. Ah, there's nobody named Dante Cunningham. Well, what's interesting is you say they don't make a ton of sense on defense, but I'm having trouble finding out why that wouldn't make a ton of sense on defense. It's a little big, but I get your, uh, you're right. I mean, we've talked about Anthony Davis and Terrence Jones being able to both play the bigs. I think defensively that makes some sense, especially against the situation with Houston. I mean, Terrence Jones could probably stick with Clint Capella and Anthony Davis guarding Ryan Anderson. He knows Ryan Anderson. Dante Cunningham is a very serviceable small forward and Drew Holiday's point guard. I can definitely see that making sense. I don't know why we didn't get Pelicans Rockets on TNT tomorrow night to open the season. I mean, I get that the Cavs and the Warriors were in the finals, but that's really what everybody wants to see. There's going to be so much bad blood when those teams meet and I'm so excited for all of it I can't wait for the 139-138 win yeah exactly I'm glad you think think it's going to be a win that's that's exciting um okay so we just finish up with we're gonna go record first um and as a reminder the Pelicans won 30 games last season 30 and 52 to win the rights to draft the uh lord and savior buddy healed so um, their line in Vegas right now, the last time I checked, which was on Friday or Saturday when I was talking to Matt, was 36.5, and, and it hadn't changed since it was initially posted. Um, can they hit that? And also tell us your actual number. Oh, man. Well, I lived in Vegas for quite a while. I know Vegas is usually right on these numbers. So it's really tough to see them get massively over 36 just because there's so many questions and there's a lot of things that can go wrong while the basement's really low you don't really know how high the ceiling is just because a lot of these guys that are filling big roles are role players and they're guys that it's going to take some time for them to actually understand the offense we've seen the problems with the defense too even though all these changes were made on the defensive ends and, and they want to be flexible, that they've had one of the worst defenses in the entire preseason. Yes, I know it's the preseason, but you still play defense in the preseason. And it's still been a massive problem for this team. So if they're going to fix that, maybe you start to get in the 37, 38, 39 range. But until then, I, I have to go under this 36 and a half. And I, I'm going to be kind of nice and say 35. Even though I could very well see them go under that number, there, there's just so many questions. And when you're building something brand new, it takes some time for it to work out. We saw it with super teams. Miami Heat weren't perfect the first year they, that they all came together. And every new project takes time. So I don't expect this year to be the, the year the Pelicans really break ground. I could see them under 30. I could see them a little bit over 30. But I'll be nice and say 35 to keep the happiness of the fans somewhat around and not scare them away too much, I guess. But there's a lot of questions with this team that I really want to see work on the court before I start to get too excited. Yeah, I I mean, I think that's a pretty... I think that's a, the general consensus. Um, I was reading the... Zach Lowe posted his, you know, Tears of the NBA, which is just is the way that he previews everything. And um, he was honestly one of the more optimistic people about the Pelicans that I've read all off season. his little blurb about them basically said, you know, what, what player in the NBA has, you know, the most upside for just this season than Davis, um, you know, to grow, obviously Steph Curry, the best players in the league 
they're going to probably just continue to be that. He wasn't talking about those players, but, you know, for one season to improve and demonstrate, you know, bring their team to places that they haven't been. He, he said that he thought Davis, you know, eked it out slightly over Carl Anthony Towns. And, you know, that's a debate for whenever day you feel like arguing with your friends. But I think that that's a, you know, a logical argument to make that no one team really has the potential to derive so much improvement from one player. And that's something that's easy to forget because of all the moving parts around him. Like this team, I mean, we, we, we've been clear that that's the case in most every situation we've talked about, but this team is going to live and die with what, you know, he's able to do on both sides, regardless of, you know, the more two-way overall improvement that the roster is probably going to make. Like, that's good and it will help, but it's really going to center around him. So to guess what the Pelicans, how many games the Pelicans will win is to guess, you know, in, in some ways how good a season Davis will have. And I, I don't even know. I think with Matt the other day I said under, but I'm, I, I'm going to go over now and I'll stick with that. Um, but I don't think they get to 40. They're definitely not a 500 team just conceptually in my mind. They're not, you know, among those, that tier of, of teams, because that's when you start to wonder about the playoffs, and I don't think that that's in sight, which is, I guess, my answer for the next question, but I'd say we'll go with 38, so um, you're you're at 35, a game and a half below, and I'm a game and a half above. What do you think about the playoffs? I, I think it's, it's kind of a... I guess if you're saying 35 wins, you'd, you'd be projecting a pretty awful West... Maybe we should have done it in the other order, well, but what's interesting is it's getting trickier because the the gap between the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference is kind of flipped all of a sudden before we even thought about it. Yeah, and the West is becoming the weaker conference. So, well, when I you have the Warriors of, winning ninety games a season, there's not enough wins to go around. And what I find really interesting is there's kind of that cluster between seven. And, the, and around, there's a few teams in the West that really don't have a shot at all. But, yeah, it's like 7-11. and 11. There's like five teams that... And I mean, it's you say, we talk about how bad the Pelicans are, but there's also plenty of other question mark teams that really don't know about. Dallas has kind of rebranded a bit, and every year Rick Carlisle pulls a rabbit way out of his hat to make his team bearable. But... They could struggle a lot. Denver's an interesting team that could sneak up there. Minnesota's a team a lot of people have talked about. And there's so many of these teams you don't really know what to make of. So could the Pelicans make the playoffs? You said. all depends on how Anthony Davis plays. If he plays well enough to be top three in the MVP voting, maybe it happens. But that's kind of a crazy thing to expect. They, they wouldn't expect the playoffs, but I don't think it's completely 0% chance of happening. Yeah, I... I agree. I mean, all of what you're saying speaks to a larger point about the conference, but I guess where I keep coming back, and I was sort of just, I'll probably tweet my predictions that no one will care about later tonight just because that's what we do. But um, yeah, the thing that I keep coming back to, specifically with the Pelicans, is I don't think that they're better demonstrably than those teams in that tier, and even the ones that are less surprising, or more surprising, like 
I obviously it's not going out on a limb to say somebody like Dallas, you know, is better than them, and Memphis has a track record to support, you know, that argument for them as well. That you know they're probably better, but you know injuries are obviously going to play a part. But even a team like the Nuggets, I don't know if they're worse than the Pelicans. Obviously, their success is going to center more around the improvements of their young players than the Pelicans will. They don't have a star like Davis to make all that make you know work for them, but I don't know if they're better than the Nuggets. I don't really you know know how many teams I can say for sure that they're better than, and that's where I worry because you 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 have to be better than six teams to make the playoffs, um, and and that's hard for me to count six teams that I'm sure they're better than. So. <coughs> Well, I think in a week, you know, a week year, they probably could have a chance at, you know, 38 wins, but I, I don't think this is that season, and I don't think that they have the firepower to do it. Um, I'll let you do your bold prediction first. So, I, I've kind of fallen in love with Terrence Jones. I don't know if you've realized this. I have a little. Um, just a little? Yeah. So, I, I kind of have two, because there's something that I thought about that's really, even though I think 35 wins is where they are. I think the Pelicans finished with a better record than the Houston Rockets. I it, Maybe it says more about my dislike for this Rockets team, but if you've watched a bad movie and you've already seen the script and you see another movie follow the script, you know what's going to happen. You know it's going to be a disaster. And Houston's following that exact script that the Pelicans did just a few years ago. And I just expect that to be a disaster. And I, with I the same exact that, players. <laughs> yeah, and I think the Pelicans could really benefit fact that they are trying something new, and they match up really well against this Rockets team. Some, they could sweep them this year. I could realistically see that, even with mediocre record, just because matchup-wise, the Pelicans' core is really good against what the Rockets are putting out there. But my other one is, I actually think Terrence Jones is going to finish in the top three in six-man-of-the-year votes, because what he's going to do for this team, as far as roles he'll play could be really, really massive, and they could really work out well. And I do think he's going to be the sixth man off the bench. Um, maybe he's the seventh if you start to say Buddy Heald, but I think they're going to work Buddy Heald in slowly. And I think Terrence Jones, from what we've seen in the preseason, plays a pretty big role. And I'm really excited. I think there's a possibility it doesn't work out, sure. But from what I've seen from him so far this year, there's a lot to like, especially with Anthony Davis. I think the chemistry in that is, is going a little under the radar because when you play with somebody you know really well, it works out. Yeah. And especially between those two, it could be really, really exciting for, for what they can do on the court. I agree. I mean, I, that's not mine, but I definitely I, – I, I've agreed with you pretty much every point you've made about Jones, so I'm definitely equally excited to see how that goes, but – Mine is probably not going to make too many people happy, except for Nathan. Um, if he hears this, he will definitely agree with me. But I think Ashik, Omer Ashik, will post a double-double, average a double-double this season. Um, I think that that sort of plays into the, my belief that he'll get a few more minutes than people are thinking. Um, and obviously that's going to take a pretty nice improvement over what he did last year to to happen, but... If he can earn those minutes and you know stay in you know shape to to play the pace that the team wants to play and um, you know 
while while maintaining enough physicality to you know do what he does on on defense and and down low on offense then you know if he's getting high 20s minutes a game i see no reason to think that a you know a diet of putbacks and finishes and you know what what he's always done at his best if he can put it all together and and stay on the court then i think he's in a situation where he's going to he's always a player that's going to benefit from the talent around him and you know the cohesiveness of the units that he's in and considering that i think most people believe that there will be more of that if not more wins this year um it's you know an easy thing to guess that ashik will improve as a result of all of that and you know it only will take a little bit to get him there right he's not he wasn't so far off last year i mean we we joke he was qualitatively bad but he wasn't overwhelmingly quantitatively bad he the points were I think worrisome it was the expectations that were set yeah the or the, the contract, points they wanted him to become one of the best centers in the league and the cornerstone of the defense and that was just too much to ask for what he was going to become. And, yeah. you know, I can definitely see him getting 10 and 10. We saw in the preseason offensively with how spaced out they're going to be. There's going to be opportunities for him at the, at the net. Yeah, he averaged a double-double that first season in Houston when he was the starter. And considering that we're going to probably play almost as quickly as that team did and we're going to have the talent, you know, up and down to make things easier for everybody. Granted, he averaged 30 minutes that year, which is, you know, always going to be part of the the equation i mean it's not it's not as out of the question as i think people on the outside who don't you know think about this team every day and just think of omer ashik as you know a 12 million dollar disappointment um would think i think he definitely has a chance to be you know an improved player and, and a double double is not out of the question because that's exactly the kind of player he is so um, my biggest question with him is it, this team wants to run transition. They're not going to be a half-court offense, just how they're set up. They're set up to space out and transition and score very quickly. And what he does in the transition to make sure he doesn't get worn out too quickly is, is the biggest thing. He's definitely worked on conditioning. I know I've heard that at least uh, in a few different uh, pieces and whatnot that he's that's been the big thing in his offseason is making sure his conditioning is up for these kind of situations. But I could definitely see him having a good year. He made some really nice passes in preseason. He was doing a lot of the, you know, very highly valued, you know, rolling to the rim. You catch the ball a little further from the rim than you're used to, and then you're able to make a decision and throw it to a shooter. That's not anything that I've seen from him since, you know, watching. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to his confidence. He's a good player. He's still a good player. Just because he had a rough year last year doesn't change the fact he's a good player. NBA player. He just needs to have the confidence. You saw it last year. There were certain games that just looked like he was deer in headlights. Everything was so foreign to him. It was a completely brand new system. It's going to happen. Gentry's trying to implement something when this team ran the complete exact opposite system the year prior with Monty Williams. It's going to happen. And this is kind of a year that he goes, okay, I've learned the system. I know what's going on. Now I can feel a little bit more comfortable. And it's not far-fetched to say he comes back, become, submits himself back as a starting center, and has double-doubles in a good majority of the season. I, I want to see it first. You know, preseason's fun. Same thing with Terrence Jones. I can get all excited about Terrence Jones. But get to see it work in the regular season when everyone's in the groove. But it's not something that's out of the realm of possibilities. He's definitely capable of it. Well, that is a nice – I think that's a nice note to leave on some – 
optimism about Omar Ashik because, I mean, I guess on the podcast we tend to sing his praises a little bit because Nathan's such a fan, but um, I definitely think that that's going to be an important part of the season, so if it can go well, we'll be a lot better off for it. Um, Unless you have any last notes to leave our loyal listeners with, I think that's where we'll wrap up. I'm so happy Buddy Mania is alive. I've got my shirt. I got my buddy shirt. It's, We're going to need a weekly update of like where and when you wear the shirt just as its own recap piece I, every I've week. I've worn it twice so far and I might have to start doing these updates. Um, I know I'm going to wear it opening night. And that's not even a question. And then we'll see. See, I lost my Pelican shirt. I might travel the world with it and just be like, where's Rick's buddy shirt I, That would be the best use of it. I don't think that I can think of a more proper way to explore the world than with the Buddy Heald t-shirt on. I mean, the biggest thing I would say with Buddy is, I know there's a lot of excitement. It is real. It's really exciting. But the beginning of the year is, is going to be tempering expectations because it's his rookie year. It's not jump to conclusions. We did that with Austin Rivers, and it turned into sadness all around. He's going to be a good player. He's going to shoot well, but it's, it's not going to be rookie of the year. He's going to be fun, and we're going to love it. But I wouldn't jump to any conclusions on him breaking any barriers and Shit's turning into a star one year in. I think he has capability to be a really good player. I just think first year in, let's let's calm down. I, I've read some stuff that it's a little scary. Always wondering if she's all into me. Curly hair like a fantasy, I can't believe. She's quiet, but the only ass to intrigue. And she's the kind of girl that you bring it home. That booty looking so nice like provolone.